Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, artists and musicians, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And on some shows, we host topics about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, we've covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them, believe it or not. We've looked at the history of women activists and the suffrage movement. Uh, we've looked at the history of different immigrant communities. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. We've looked at the history of punk and opera in the city. Those were, those were separate shows, by the way. We've looked at our public library systems. We have three of them. We've visited the subway and its public art. We visited some of our greatest train stations and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, you can catch each show on podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other services. Tonight, we are going back to the island of Manhattan and visiting a very special neighborhood, one that's also special because I happen to live in it. It's East Harlem. Um, my first guest is a returning guest to Rediscovering New York. He's Kevin Draper. Kevin is a sought-after New York historian and co-founder of New York Historical Tours. Excuse me. Um, Kevin's an impassioned native New Yorker, and he actively brings to life the incredible and inspiring stories that have made New York the most exciting and influential city in the world. For over 10 years, Kevin has produced top-rated first-class tours and New York experience to locals and visitors from all over the globe. His dynamic knowledge, professionalism, and gift storytelling have awarded him consistent five-star reviews. TripAdvisor's Certificate of Excellence year after year and won the accolades of the most discriminating clientele. Kevin has led historical talks and lectures for top universities and Fortune 500 companies, and he's a respected historical consultant for major media and publications, including CBS, ABC, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Kevin Draper, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Yes, and thank you. And it's great to hear you and see you, actually, <laughs> again. Yes, yes. and, and uh, Kevin is broadcasting from his very special uh, studio in his automobile tonight. But it's yes. great. It's soundproof, and uh, we can see him uh, clear and clear, loud and clear. Yes. <laughs> Kevin, you are a native New Yorker. What part of the area did you grow up in? So originally, um, on when I was a kid, Long Island, but it was only about 45 minutes away. So most of us consider that part of New York City, because <laughs> just about everybody I grew up with on Long Island's parents or grandparents um, were from the city. And I went to college in, in New York, and I never left. So I've pretty much been here my entire adult life. You have a great business and a great passion. Um, how did you get into the business of illuminating and entertaining New Yorkers about our neighborhoods and about our history? Well, literally from when I was about five years old and my parents would bring me into the city, going to museums and seeing the tourist attractions and doing things in the city. As soon as I was able to read, I always had a fascination with New York. So literally when I was five years old, six years old, I started reading about New York. So it's always been a passion learning about the history of New York. As an adult, I was going down a completely different career path. And to make a long story short, it really dawned on me because you'd always hear people say, you know, uh, you should really, the great thing in life is if you can make a living, what your passion is, what you truly enjoy. And that's when I realized, wow, you know, if there's one thing I can fantasize about doing, it'd be a, to be a New York City historian and be able to live it, talk it, work it, make that my career. And uh, that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing now for almost 20 years. Right, and we, uh, uh, our second guest is nodding his head because he too is incredibly passionate and loves what he does. And we're going to uh, talk with him in a bit. Um, East Harlem. Hmm. Uh, I think if you asked a large group of people who are not from New York, and I would include people outside the United States, Kevin, most mm -hmm. people would have heard of Harlem. 
But I think far fewer of them would have heard of East Harlem. Um, first, what are the boundaries of East Harlem as distinct from, from Harlem? So for the most part, most people would, you would look at it and you would say pretty much from about 96th Street on the east side of Manhattan, from basically the river, the East River, all the way over to about Fifth Avenue and directly north from there, because the island kind of curves up at a point. So pretty much where First Avenue ends and Second Avenue and Third Avenue, where those avenues end. So that's the area that we're talking about. It's a pretty good, good sized area. But again, it goes basically from the river all the way over to Fifth Avenue. Like a lot of Manhattan, it was pasture and then it became farmland. Um, the Dutch settled Harlem, which was more in central Harlem. Were there, were there Dutch settlers and farmers in, in the neighborhood that would become East Harlem? Not for the most part. They were a little more centralized, be more like central Harlem, um, because the, the riverfront, which would be along the East River, basically, that would start slowly to be developed more like estates at some point. Um, so mostly central Har- Harlem is where they would have had more of their settlement. But it was very, very small. Um, even New Amsterdam further down, which was considered the big part of the city, only had a few thousand people. So it'd only be a few very, very small set- settlement in Harlem. The grid in Manhattan, for people who, who, who don't know, it was developed in the commissioner's plan of 1811. That was more than 200 years ago. Uh, talk about having foresight of uh, expanding uh, a city and, and making it functional for people. When was the grid laid out in East Harlem? You know, that would have, like you said, the, the grid plan was basically adopted and passed in 1811. And it would, it would slowly, through the 1820s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, it was slowly, gradually making its way up towards East Harlem and Central Harlem. So we're really looking at the mid to late 19th century is when the grid system really started to be getting, to physically, physically get laid out. They had already had the lines drawn out. So a lot of the property owners kind of knew where these roads were going to go and where these avenues were going to go. But physically laying down the streets, we're looking mid to late to late 18, uh, 19th century. And when would the neighborhood begin to look like the neighborhood that we see today with, with, uh, with a good many of the structures? You're definitely looking at the late 19th century because once the, um, the elevated rail lines were laid out, a lot of times when you say subway, we're thinking the underground subways, which would have been 1904. But back in the 1880s, they were already putting elevated uh, rail lines. So that is when you would really start to see that neighborhood start to be developed, uh, brownstones and townhouses and stuff. So you're looking around the 1880s, 1890s, because you got the grid system in, and that's when they're really starting to lay it out as a neighborhood. Of course, we had the railroad that eventually became the uh, 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 the Harlem line, the Hudson line, uh, and that uh, was was built up sooner than that. Did did that impact the development of the neighborhood at all, or was that railroad mostly going up and out of the city? It was mostly going up and out of the city. So everything that was coming in, and at that point when they first built it, by the way, there was no Grand Central Terminal. It actually went all the way down to Madison Square Park. That's where the rail line went. So not not entirely, no. It, it was just basically the trains coming in and out. There were no stops up there or anything like that. It was just basically cutting through the cutting through the neighborhood, basically. And we had two mass transit lines. We had the Second Avenue and the Third Avenue Ls eventually. Yes, mm-hmm. and that was before uh, the subway was built in nineteen four. Actually, extended up to uh, Lexington Avenue. What around the time of the First World War. Um, what businesses, Kevin, would have been located here when the neighborhood was first developing? What kind of industries, what kind of businesses would, would people find in East Harlem? Well, you would definitely have, you know, a lot of things in, in, in that were connected to manufacturing because you had a place called like, you had some breweries that were considered to be the Upper East Side, but it was in the 90s. So there was a lot of manufacturing along the river. And you would have had things connected to that, like barrel making, for instance, believe it or not, to make barrels to be sent over to the brewery, the Rupert Brewery, which Rupert, Rupert, by the way, he's the one that bought the Yankees and built Yankee Stadium. Um, so you had a lot of things connected to that. And other businesses was, would have been typical businesses that would have helped to support a neighborhood. So like some restaurants and a shoemaker and stuff like that. So it was really you had a real neighborhood feel right from the beginning. 
You know, something I didn't ask you early on is, is when would the neighborhood begun to have been called East Harlem? You know, it would have been not to, because you had with the Upper East Side and with that area being considered Harlem, you even in the late 19th century, they were already starting to divide up neighborhoods and trying to give different neighborhoods different names, even if it wasn't officially, just so people would know. So really, by the late 19th century, a lot of people were referring it to a disease Harlem, no different than those that lived in Greenwich Village, where the West Village wasn't an official name, so to speak, but people just said it anyway because they knew it was the West Side. So really, the late 19th century is when we're going to start to see it be called the East Harlem by the locals. Officially, it would be much later in the 20th century. And it started to get settled as a residential neighborhood in the late 19th centuries. Um, in the late 19th century, sorry, there was only one, not several of them. <laughs> um, who, and of course, it was like like a lot of expanding New York. Immigrant communities were settling in in uh, in in East Harlem. Um, who were the first communities who who largely moved here in the in, in the late 19th century? Well, you had it was Irish, Jewish, some German, and Italian. Those were that was kind of the mix that was moving in up into that area at that point because Harlem a little bit further west that was being developed as more of a wealthy middle class upper middle class neighborhood so East Harlem um, it was mostly again it would be Jewish Irish German and then definitely Italian it'd be a definitely a big Italian in the late 19th century if you ask people who knew something about New York history who were not from New York um, they probably would recognize more that East Harlem was an Italian neighborhood than it was uh, a neighborhood where German immigrants and Jewish immigrants moved into. Um, when did when did Jewish immigrants started pop, uh, start to populate the the neighborhood in large numbers? It would have been after the American Civil War, because at that point, the Lower East Side at that point was already one of the most packly dense neighborhoods in the world, by the way, um, the Lower East Side. So already you had Jewish families moving up there because, by the way, you see places like Williamsburg, for those that are listening, if you know places like in Brooklyn, like Williamsburg, that wouldn't be starting, that would not start to be populated by the Jewish population until the bridges were built, like the Manhattan Bridge, the Williamsburg's Bridge. So one of the first places that Jewish families would move to get out of the Lower East Side, where it was less crowded, would have been after the Civil War. So 1870s, 1880s is where you're going to start to see Jewish families starting to move up into that area. You mentioned uh, the crowded conditions in the Lower East Side and, and what we might have called of is the inner city of the late 19th century. Um, the, one of the, the kinds of institutions that moved along with Jewish immigrants from the Lower East Side were settlement houses. One of the city's oldest settlement houses was in East Harlem. Yes, and this was an extremely important um, advancement, really, in, in the way New Yorkers were thinking. And one quick thing about settlement houses, you know, not only were these places set up to help the poor with all different things, education, teaching, you know, maybe trying to help with certain things with hygiene, um, even helping to provide medical exams, providing uh, simple, simple things like art classes for children, a lot of things we take for granted today. What's interesting about these settlement houses is that a lot of times the wealthy patrons that were actually um, helping to support some of these settlement houses, including the one in East, in East Harlem, they would actually go and work in these places themselves. Now, the one you're talking about, this is not the same story, but Eleanor Roosevelt worked at a settlement house that was actually in lower Manhattan. And she used to make Franklin Roosevelt pick her up when they, used, when they were dating and force him to come in and see what it was all about. So it was an idea of exposing the very wealthy to how the real poor and the immigrants were really living to see how they can better their lives. And yes, one of the first ones would have been up in East Harlem, and it was so successful that obviously this would spread throughout the entire city. Mm. So East Harlem was a model for uh, urban living in some, in some ways. It, it really was, yes, all over the city, absolutely, yes. And that would spread throughout the whole country, by the way. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Kevin Draper of New York Historical Tours on this episode about East Harlem. We'll be back in a moment. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. And this episode of Rediscovering New York and our episode on East Harlem. My first guest is Kevin Draper. Kevin is the founder and director of New York Historical Tours. Uh, Kevin, let's talk about your business for for, for a moment in your offerings. Uh, COVID has been really challenging, but I'm glad to hear that you have uh, reinstated some of your tours. Do you want to talk about some of the offerings now that people can take advantage of? Yes, um, definitely. If you look at our, our site, New York historical tours.com, we are offering every single tour that's listed on the website. Um, and they're all actually offered as private tours, meaning that if you book a tour with us, it'll just be you. So whoever you're with your family, your friends, um, during this time of COVID, we're not putting strangers together. And I personally will lead a lot of these tours. Um, if you call, and of course, with a mask and social distancing. Um, so please feel free to look at the website. And again, any one of the tours that you see listed, we can do. And it is an interesting time in New York because it's relatively empty compared to the way it normally is. So it's actually a, a great time to actually see the city by foot. Mm. Uh, and your tours are, are, are fabulous. Um, East Harlem and the next immigrant community. East Harlem, of course, is a place where many different peoples have, have lived. Um, is it true that East Harlem was New York's original Little Italy? Yes, for the most part, yes, absolutely. Because what becomes the Little Italy that we all know downtown um, was mostly Irish. That was part of what, we, what was the Five Points and even um, mostly Chinatown also that was starting to grow. So, yes, yeah, some, from some of the first Italians that did come here, they did start set, settling first in East Harlem. That is true. That was really the first. The reason the other one gets such a big uh, uh, 
it's known so much is just because that eventually when it started to grow, it exploded only because it was so close to the docks where the actual work was. That was the only reason that that area took off. And a lot of the Irish were actually moving out of the city. That's the reason. But it was the first of Italy, correct? Although I live in East Harlem now, I do have a uh, uh, family history in Little Italy. My great grandmother and my great grandfather's family moved to Little Italy downtown, one beginning in the 1890s and the other in the 1920s. Mm. Um, and the Italian enclave that still exists in East Harlem now, that's largely around uh, uh, Pleasant Avenue. In East Harlem. Yes. Mm hmm. And you still have some old uh, style, uh, old businesses there. Uh, Rouse, which uh, is still in, uh, there, that started around the turn of the last century. And Patsy's dates from the 20s to the 30s. A 1930. Wow. It started opened up in the 1930s. Mm. And looking at a, 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 a seedier side to the neighborhood back in those days, there was also organized crime in East Harlem. That was Italian spawned. Uh, major uh, crime syndicate was called the Black Hand. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. The, you know, the Black Hand was an organization that we started in, it really was founded really in Italy. So a lot of the Italians that came over that were trying to get a leg up, so to speak, in society, what the Black Hand was doing, it was basically extortion or actually it's exactly what it was. So you would be told that you had to pay a certain amount of money. And a lot of times you would actually just get a note that says you have to, you know, pay us a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars or whatever it was, which a hundred dollars, by the way, was a lot of money back then. And if you didn't pay it, they might hurt someone in your family or hurt you, or they might even set off a bomb in your restaurant or your store. So this really terrified people. Um, and they made it clear to these people when they wrote these letters, you know, not to go to the police. And a lot of the Italians coming over knew about this organization from Italy. So that was one of the things that scared people is that not only what did they realize they were here, but then there was a little bit of a worry that they could threaten their family back home in Italy. So it was a very, very bad thing that was happening with that. And, you know, thankfully that eventually started to, that phased out. Uh, the city pushed hard back against that. And believe it or not, some of the, I don't usually give a thumbs up to organized crime, but a lot of the, the a lot of the uh, Italian families and some of the, what we call the mafia or organized crime, there were certain groups that were pushing back against that. So I suppose there's uh, something to be said for uh, organized crime that was only interested in prostitution, gambling, and um, uh, alcohol during prohibition yes. as opposed to blowing people up. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, in the, in the 1920s and early 1930s, East Harlem was represented in Congress by a very famous New Yorker who had Jewish as well as Italian roots. Do you want to talk about him for a minute? Yes, that would be LaGuardia, our great mayor, Fredo LaGuardia, who actually spoke five languages, by the way. Well, I knew he spoke Italian and Yiddish as well as English, but he spoke two other languages? Yes, he did. Yes, oh, wow. and it was incredible because when he was campaigning, you'd be able to do that wherever he went. Now, what's interesting about him is that he was actually born in Little Italy. I'm sorry, and he was born in Greenwich Village. I apologize. He was born in the village. But when he was very young, he actually moved to Arizona. His father was a big band leader uh, for the military. So he was like in the military. He was a band leader. So he spent most of his childhood up through high school in Arizona, never picking up an accent, by the way. He always kept that New York accent. I don't know how he did it. But And then when he came back, yes, when he came back and got into politics, he actually was a congressman that represented um, East Harlem. And then when he became mayor, he actually lived in East Harlem. So that's when he actually lived in, in East Harlem was when he was mayor. Now, while he was now, this is going through the 1930s into the 1940s. So he was a resident, a very active resident of East Harlem. And he knew the positives and the negatives and what people were going through in the neighborhood. And there's a place called Gracie Mansion that every mayor now lives in. Every mayor from him up until now, except Michael Bloomberg, he stayed in his, his Gilded Age Mansion, which I don't blame him. Um, LaGuardia, when the city, Robert Moses, took over Gracie Mansion and had it renovated and wanted it to be the mayor's residence, LaGuardia did not want to do it. He wanted to stay in his apartment in East Harlem. He really pushed back. He said, it's so above me like that's just not my thing to live in a place called gracie mansion he's like 
He did not want it at all. He was basically forced to move in when World War II started. And it was because they said it was because of his security. They said, it's not secure for you to be living in your apartment, walking the streets, so to speak. We need to have you in a more secure location when the war started. So it's not until like the mid, uh, like 1942 or so that he actually leaves East Harlem and moves into Gracie Mansion. Mm. Well, let's, um, well, it's actually moving a little backward, not forward. Let's talk about when East Harlem began to become Spanish Harlem and the Barrio, which we know today. Uh, But contrary to what many people who know East Harlem is Spanish Harlem, um, people from Puerto Rico started moving here in the 19th century, right after the, the Spanish-American War. And I also want to designate and, and just be clear that people from Puerto Rico were not immigrants. They're Americans. So yeah. and, and had been since time uh, we took uh, Puerto Rico from from Spain. Um, by the 1930s, um, have the people, uh, people, half the people from Puerto Rico who lived in the continental United States actually lived in East Harlem. And after the Second World War, East Harlem became known as the island within the city. Do you want to talk about when uh, migration picked up substantially and uh, people yeah, from Puerto def- Rico came to the neighborhood? Absolutely. I mean, it definitely really started to pick up steam after World War One. There's definitely that's when we start to see a lot of people moving into the neighborhood. And one of the reasons that this neighborhood started to develop, like any ethnic neighborhood, it turns out that usually one group of people is moving out. So in other words, like a lot of the people that were Jewish or Irish or German and definitely Italian after World War One, going into the 1920s, the 1930s, now you have the second generation or even third generation where now people are moving out to either other parts of the city, nicer parts of the city, or moving out to the suburbs. They're, they're moving up to Westchester. So if you're Italian, you're moving out maybe to Staten Island. You're moving out maybe to Brooklyn. Maybe you're going out to Long Island, New Jersey. So as people are moving out of East Harlem, that's when the Puerto Rican migration is coming, or it's people are moving into New York City, and they start moving into East Harlem. Um, and it just grows throughout the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Definitely in the 1960s, by the way, when you had another small Puerto Rican neighborhood where Lincoln Center is today. So uh, San Juan Hill, as they used to call it. So when all these people were evicted from their homes and they were taking down all these buildings to build the Lincoln Center complex, you even had in the 1960s more Puerto Ricans moving in over to East Harlem. So when you talk about the neighborhood growing You could really start again from after World War One, 1920s, all the way into the 1960s. The neighborhood is growing and growing and growing. Many people don't know this, Kevin, but part of the on location set for the movie West Side Story was actually filmed in East Harlem, one of the blocks in East Harlem. Um, Like so many New York neighborhoods, East Harlem saw a period of decline, mostly in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and there was gang activity. Um, and then, uh, like much of the city, uh, it saw revitalization and renewal. Um, you, one thing I do want to mention is that there's a museum in East Harlem called Museo del Barrio, which looks to, which, uh, which showcases and celebrates uh, a culture in uh, a Spanish culture in East Harlem. Um, what has, we're uh, running out of time in our segment, what has East Harlem been like, say, in the last 20 years? What, how has it been changing? Well, keep in mind, East, East Harlem has very good bones, I like to say. So in other words, when the neighborhood was developed, some of the brownstones, some of the townhouses, the libraries, you actually have Carnegie libraries. I, Andrew Carnegie built many libraries in New York. It's a Carnegie library. You have uh, the Museum of the City of New York, for instance, is, is in East Harlem. Um, and some of the public schools that are East, East, East Harlem that were built in the 1880s, through um, the 19 teens. So meaning that it's always been a pretty good, solid neighborhood. With that decline, now the last 20 years, people have been moving back to the neighborhood because what happens is if it's considered to be a little bit cheaper, people look to to lay down roots. Maybe they want to start a family. People, People are starting out in life. So the neighborhood has been slowly turning around where you're seeing more restaurants, more coffee shops, more bars. You have those cultural institutions that we both just mentioned. There's different cultural institutions. And so, yes, there is that term gentrification, 
which, you know, again, it's a double-edged sword how, how you describe it, but it, it's as the neighborhood gets better, the prices are going up, of course, but it's, it's the bones are good, meaning that it, it's the neighborhood is so ripe for everyone that's living there already to enjoy it as it's growing and as it's being restored and renovated, but it's also attractive for those that perhaps are moving in and for future development. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening in that area. Well, Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, but being in the industry, I will say that East Harlem is also known as being still having really good value for people who want to invest in homes, although the values have gone up considerably. Kevin, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Uh, My first guest on this show about East Harlem on the program has been Kevin Draper. Kevin is the founder and director of New York Historical Tours, and you can find out about his offerings at www.newyorkhistoricaltours.com. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Good to see you as always. Uh, We're going to... We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with a special guest who's not been on the program before, uh, who has a very special uh, business and service in East Harlem. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back and you're back to rediscovering new york support from the program comes from our sponsors christopher pappas mortgage specialist at td bank to find out how chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you please give chris a call at 203-512-3918 and support also comes from the law offices of thomas siaka focusing on wills estate planning probate and inheritance litigation Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are JeffGoodmanNYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at RediscoveringNewYork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, 
When I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 646- 306-4761. And I'm proud to say, and this is the only show that I can say, I actually live in the neighborhood that we're visiting tonight, East Harlem. My second guest is someone that I've known for a while. He's an artist and he's passionate about empowering others in the world of art. That's Julio Valdez. Julio was born in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. He's a painter, a printmaker, a teacher, and installation artist, and has exhibited internationally since 1984. Julio received training in oil painting and printmaking in both his native land and New York City. His art evokes the Caribbean's physical beauty and varied cultures, his Afro-Caribbean roots, and contemporary issues of displacement and cultural identity. Julio studied at the National School of Fine Arts in Santo Domingo from 1984 to 1986, and in 1988 was graduated from Altos de Chavon School of Design. It's the Parsons School of Design affiliate in the Dominican Republic. He received a fellowship from the Robert Blackburn Printmaking Workshop in 1994, and in the same year founded the Julio Valdez Studio, which we're going to be speaking about tonight, which specializes in non-toxic contemporary printmaking processes. Julio has presented 31 solo exhibitions. That's a pretty good record. Most recently in 2019 to 2020 at June Kelly Gallery in Soho. That's here in New York, by the way. And in 2016 at the Latin American Masters Gallery in Santa Monica. That's in California. Julio Valdez Studio is a regular exhibitor at the Affordable Art Fair, as well as art on paper, both in New York. In 2019, he represented the Dominican Republic at the 58th Venice Biennial in Italy. The new museum exhibition is scheduled for 2021 at the Art Museum of the Americas at the OAS. That's the Organization of American States in Washington. Julio's work is part of many public, private, and museum collections worldwide. Julio, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. Great being here with you. I'm a big fan of your program. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I think you're one of my original fans, uh, one of the original listeners. I don't have fans. The program, I don't have fans. Um, You know, I don't know many people who are from Santo Domingo. And I have to say, of all the places in the Americas, it's probably one of the most inspiring places that someone who has become an artist could grow up in. It's the oldest city. Uh, the cathedral, yes. when I was there, I walked in, it was like a medieval cathedral. That's what, that was the style it was built. It was built in the 16th century. Um, how old were you when you first started to get interested in and to, and to create art? Well, I, I'm very fortunate that I was always very interested, uh, but I started taking it seriously uh, when I was 15. Uh, that was a, a moment of truth in my life because I had to decide whether I'll go to baseball practice like every kid <laughs> want to be a baseball player there or to my art school, you know, to my uh, art, uh, you know, practices. And so uh, that was a very challenging year because uh, my father passed away suddenly from, uh, from a heart attack. And so and, and he has already uh, arranged it for me uh, right before he passed uh, to take these oil painting classes in Alto Se Chavon. And it was um, it was a summer uh, program. And so it kind of to me, that was the the uh, the sign that I should just continue pursue my passion uh, and and artists, I can be an artist all my life, but a baseball player, you know, the, the probabilities were not very high. No, but art, yes, you can. yes. <laughs> Speaking so, of which, I I I love your painting. I, I we're on the radio. I'm holding up a book that you <laughs> wonderfully gave me on your art. It's called oh Julio yes, Valdez. that's right. And uh, you know, some book. of the some of my favorite paintings that you do are are these rich green and blue textures. They're very evocative to me of the water in the Caribbean, just of of, of, the, yes. of the beautiful the beautiful colors in the water. Um, what had you decide to move to New York? It's a program about New York, and you're in yes, New York exactly, now. Yes, so exactly. So um, I was teaching at Altos de Chavon, uh, which is the school of design affiliated to Parsons School of Design here in New York. So I had to come to New York to consult with the 
faculty and uh, with the dean. And so there was this relationship was already there. And, and it's the same place where I studied and graduated. So uh, in 19, I, I used to come to uh, in the summers to study English at the new school and to see museums. And in that process, the dean of Parsons uh, invited me to, to meet Bob Blackburn the master printer, legendary master printer. Um, and he, um, I mean, this is a person who introduced Robert Rochambeau and Jasper Jones to printmaking and all that. So for me to go to meet this guy was, was great. And he gave me a fellowship. He invited me. He saw my portfolio and he said, I would like you to come to New York to stay here for a year with me. And that's how I decided. I was way back in 1990. December 93, something like that. Yeah. And I stay all 94 working with him on 17th Street. Uh, and um, at that time, my, my, my girlfriend uh, was assistant to the Dean of Parsons and, and, and she, then we married, <laughs> we married for, for uh, over two decades now. And so anyway, uh, so that's how it happened. You know, initially I wasn't planning on staying here forever just to, you know, stay a whole year. And, you know, things keep happening and love came in. And, <laughs> and there is New York. New York has that, uh, exactly. has that draw on people. Well, also, a big part of it is because I realized that I, uh, I had achieved already in my native country, like a lot, pretty young. So like I didn't have a lot of challenges there. So it feels to me like being an artist, a fine artist, uh, New York was a bigger pot to, to grow. Hmm. You know, Julio, most, let, let's talk about the studio and the project space. Um, mm -hmm. Most artists who paint and work in the media that you do in painting and printmaking, they have studios to work in. Um, many artists also dream about having a regular space that they can e exhibit their own work in. Uh, but the, pro the project space has both those things, but it has much more than that. Um, do you want to talk about what it does aside from just being a place that you exhibit your work and also that you, that you can do your, your uh, printmaking? Yes, yes. Uh, of course, uh, having, having the studio is, is, the, is the, the main thing in order to develop your work as an artist. And I, what I did with the project space is I imagine when I first came to New York as an immigrant artist, I realized that all the bits and pieces of information I needed and the services, they were scattered all over. So, and there wasn't a lot of information, you know. Uh, so I, I wanted to do a, a business uh, besides doing my own work, found a firm that will be a, services, artist services uh, business, sorry, that will have everything under one roof, all the services that we need in order of importance. First of all and foremost is uh, studio space, you know, spaces for you to develop your practice. Then once you have a body of work, you need to present the work uh, properly. And so I do archival framing and conservation. As well. And you have a great space. I've been to the studio. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, just, yeah. It, it's yeah. it's it's big. It's it's not cramped. It has it room was to a do former, all the things. That... A former factory, because you know East Harlem. That's what Kevin was explaining all that about all the the immigrants and how it accelerated accelerated in the forties and fifties. Uh, the Puerto Ricans were um, actually. Um, they were stimulated to come to the to the mainland, although it's another island. You know, we moved from island to island, <laughs> Manhattan, to work in the factories. In fact, the studio where you have been, it, it was um, it was a closed down factory that I rented in nineteen ninety six. Initially, my studio was in the Lower East Side, another Puerto Rican enclave. <laughs> you know, right. and also there, there were also uh, a, a sizable Dominican community on the Lower East Side as well. Yes, yes, I remember, and and but I remember what, going back. And this is a little commercial. When I used to come in the summers, you know, Parsons to work there, they gave me a tour of the neighborhood in the Lower 
Versailles, and they show me, and this is the Alphabet City, you know, I remember. And uh, you could see they turn me, you know, from Second Avenue, we turn because you could see the people, you know, with the needles and everything. The neighborhood was like a rough, you know, they didn't want to take me over there because I was just busy. But anyway, so that's how it happened. So we're so in, in my studio, we have um, the, the, the studio spaces, the framing uh, shops to present your work. And then we had the exhibition platforms, as you said before, the affordable art fair, our own paper, and other fairs. And then we opened our own in-house uh, gallery space. Uh, the space that you visited on 106, we used to have the gallery in the front. Now we just opened, I, I, I haven't tell you this, we opened a ground level, a uh, street level, Oh. Uh, space on 108, almost a third between Lexington and third, same block, uh, just two, two uh, weeks away. We have a show opening uh, coming up on uh, April 18. Um, a group of artists from uh, uh, Creative Capital is an organization that, you know, help uh, artists in New York. And then we have another show from Michelle Brady, a great artist that worked with us uh, in May. Uh, so I will send you the invitation so you can, you know, share it and post it uh, for these shows. Please. I'm, um, I, and I'm overdue for a visit myself. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Julio Valdez. Julio's uh, uh, project, the JVS Project Space, is in East Harlem. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back and our episode on East Harlem. My second guest is Julio Valdez. Julio is a painter, a printmaker, and a creator and facilitator of art. Uh, his studio, the Julio Valdez Studio in the JVS Project Space, is in East Harlem. Julio, what was the inspiration for you to create your, your studio and your space in East Harlem? Um, well, as I said, initially my studio, my own studio was in, in the Lower East Side. And what I realized was that uh, there was a lot of like pretentious people, uh, like wannabe artists. Like I felt like um, I, in East in Harlem, it was the, one of the largest and original uh, Latino neighborhoods. I wanted to have that flavor. I wanted to have that feel. And there was a lot of, although it's very well known for 
um, performing arts, you know, like Tito Puente, Mark Anthony, uh, just uh, a lot of legends, uh, Ray Barreto, uh, they're all from there. But there was a lot of uh, visual artists and serious dedicated artists, um, even like Alice Neal, you know, was there many years ago. And so I felt that it was more of a, like my place, like where I wanted to develop as an artist and had that flavor of people that kind of know each other and that they say good morning or good evening and they talk to you. And, and I want to, I think I came at a time where I could talk to the elders, you know, oral history. A lot of the things that Kevin was saying before, I, I can see, you know, with somebody, an older person who's been in that neighborhood for 30, 40, 50 years and talk to them. And what was this neighborhood like, you know, back then? And, and that's what I, I learned things like the, the, the uh, train, the elevated train and houses didn't even have, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> a floor, you know, just dirt house and stuff like that. So just being with great artists uh, and, and that sort of like uh, sense of continuity, you know, mm. that was very inspiring. It sounds like your experience of East Harlem, Julio, is, is more like a village or a small town than it is really a, a, a city with an urban landscape, a, a neighborhood in a, in a city with an urban landscape. You know, it's interesting you said that. Uh, it, it felt like it's, it's like, yeah, like a, like a little city within a city, you know. I, I also like it that it was, I could have a really big space, like the space you, you know, I still have, the one that you have, that I we build it from scratch. You know, what we rented was a closed down factory, a dress factory has been closed down and it was closed for like three years when we first opened the front door, we couldn't even open it. That just filled with garbage. You spent three months. I remember in the middle of the blizzard. You remember the blizzard '96 um, in the city? Yeah, blizzard. That was the city was closed. That's when we were cleaning the loft to get in, and then. Um, but it felt like everybody was very helpful. All the other artists in the area, and I. Uh, I also like that strategically, you know, I was still 15 minutes train ride from Union, Union, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Union Square, kind of where I did a lot of business down there. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes riding in train or car from any uh, bridge of, you know, I'm walking towards the, um, towards having Central Park right there. That was quite, quite attractive to me. Where is the project space exactly? I know where it is, but it's, tell it's, on, it's on East 106th Street, uh, you know, 176 East 106, uh, fourth floor is open by appointment. And then our new gallery is at 181 East 108 Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, both spaces are in the same block. Uh, sorry, in the same, yeah, same block, just two streets away. Um, Do many of the artists who utilize the project space uh, actually live in East Harlem? Actually, I would say that about half of them live uh, no far in East Harlem, but the rest live um, in the Upper West Side or in like the Harlem area, more central Harlem. So, but everybody likes the fact that they can walk or bike there. And that, uh, that feature was really tested during the pandemic. So, so many artists were, the artists were so uh, grateful that I had developed these these spaces for artists to to do their work um, because they didn't have to travel far to Williamsburg or to, uh, you know, the other neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Uh, They didn't want to, they didn't want to take the train back then, uh, you know, when it was really bad, you know, March, April, May, you know, all the way until. Mm. So that was great um, that uh, everybody, you know, is able to kind of walk or, or bike uh, there. After you opened the project space, Julio, was there anything that surprised you about East Harlem? Something that you maybe not had anticipated? Well, um, I would say um, 
how fast was changing and and how many uh closings of the street in the summer for all the festivals <laughs> i didn't realize it was such a popular place that's like, a good thing <laughs> it's, it's a good thing but but sometimes it was it was uh, it, it was hard between the preachers uh you know like always right and blasting really loud thing and then all the closings of the street and it feels like in the summer every weekend there was either a religious procession thing along the avenue or 106 or a street blocking and things and that was a, a little a little rough uh you know but but also uh the fact that it's being gentrified kind of like changing so fast uh that's sad because um it it it, it, it breaks the uh, continuity of, of, of things but hey that's that's what happened in new york it's um it's about change i mean nothing is nothing mm-hmm. is permanent and we mm-hmm. new york is an evolving city i mean the one thing that we do have that that i think uh allays uh some of the displacement of gentrification is rent regulation if 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 yes. housing is rent yes. regulated some of it is and some of it isn't mm-hmm. julio we're almost out of time um i want to ask you one other question um, you aren't in a neighborhood business per se you provide a service um, but you're part of the community and you manage sort of a local business because people get benefits from it and, and you interact with the public. Um, is there any advice you would have for someone looking to open up a business in the neighborhood? Yeah, there's a lot of great resources. Uh, one is to get in, in contact with the uh, uh, neighborhood organizations so like uh, Union Settlement and uh, um, Uptown Grand Central uh and and the actually the the harlem uh the the columbia harlem uh, business school also um it, it's very helpful to east harlem businesses and um you know we have we have a group you know in whatsapp that we support each other um yeah there's definitely uh definitely th- those resources having um you know to help each other in the neighborhood you know if if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or find out about the project space, what where can they find that information about it? Uh, JVSprojectspace.com. You know, so all together, JVSprojectspace.com. Also, uh, my website, JulioValdez.com. That's for my own work, but for the, the business, it's JVSprojectspace.com. Also, you can follow me uh, at Julio Valdez Studio in um, Instagram. And I will contact you with with everything you need. (laughs) Great. Well, Julio, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, Our second guest on this program about East Harlem has been Julio Valdez of Julio Valdez Studio and JBS Project Space. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens, who actually lives in East Harlem. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer continues to be the great Sam Leibowitz. Our production assistant is Leah Coppola. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hey everybody it's Tommy D the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc I host a program philanthropy and focus Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc.
Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc do you love or are you intrigued about new york city and its neighborhoods i'm jeff goodman host of rediscovering new york weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 